Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mindset to Mastery. I am your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcomes. I am excited to have as a guest today on our podcast, uh, Minda Hartz, who is the author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. And I am excited about being able to talk to her and have her share her insights about a mindset and what we as women of color need to consider when securing our seat and 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 um, and making sure that our voice is heard and also tips for people who want to be allies um, in order to assist us and other women to be able to securely you know secure their seat and step into their uh, position in place so welcome Minda to the show thank you for having me Keisha so excited to dive in today. And, and it's, it's great. I was talking to uh, Minda before we started the recording and um, I connected with her on Twitter and I, I don't remember who I was connected with, who had shared something that, that you posted. And I started following her and the, the dialogue and the conversations are amazing to me. And, and it's basically food for my spirit and, and my soul in terms of giving me that, that boost of confidence and saying, okay, there are other people out here that are going along with you, so, so you need to, to keep moving. So thank you, first of all, for being transparent um, and willing to kind of step up and, and share your journey. And for those of you who don't, for those, for those people who don't know you, um, can you talk a little bit about what prompted you to actually write this book? Yeah, well, thank you for your kind words. I, I'm always very humbled <laughs> by them uh, because we're all out here doing this work, right? And it just feels good when when you see each other. So thank you uh, for your support in the work that you do. You know, it's, it's funny, after my book came out, the memo, uh, at the end of August, and I've pretty much been on the road ever since. And I, I meet so many different women in, in these spaces, and some of the older ones will say, I should have wrote this book and I'll laugh. And I said, you still can, you know, because <laughs> our stories need to be told. But it was one of those things where I was just tired of dealing with so much trauma inside the workplace. Um, you know, racial trauma is just as insidious as any other form of harassment at work. And I just didn't want to leave the workplace the way I found it. I wanted to be able to talk about some of the things that we don't talk about out loud, um, but sometimes behind the scenes and some things that work that we've told ourselves to just push through. And um, we can't fully secure our seat or own our space or create our table with all of these, this baggage uh, from the workplace. And so I just felt like, what could I do to contribute to making the workplace better than I found it? And it was being prompted, um, I feel, to write this book. And I'm just so happy that many women and our allies are finding it and reading it and just feeling seen for the first time in a career narrative. And it, it's interesting that you say feeling seen for the first time, because I can remember when I was growing up and I know so many you know, women of color have been told the same thing. And, and you mentioned in your book about how we have to be twice as good in order to be accepted and, and maybe even get a toe in, not a full seat, but maybe get a toe into the room. And, and it's that pressure of understanding that while you stand out because you're normally the only or one of few 
um, women of color or women period in the rooms that you're in, even though you're there and it's obvious that you're there, you're still not seen and you're not heard. And, and I find it so interesting that throughout this book, your voice and your style, you know, with your Beyonce references and Bone Thugs and Harmony, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you, you are fully owning your voice and, and, and who you are. And I wonder, you know, can you share a little bit about that process you went through when you finally said, you know what, I'm no longer going to be visibly invisible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> so I was in uh, corporate America for 15 years and you just become, you settle into the microaggressions, you settle into the invisibility, right? And um, and sometimes you don't even realize that you've settled into it uh, because you look at the things that you do have, right? Far be it for me to complain, you know, I'm able to, you know, pay my bills, go to brunch with my girlfriends. and But I also realized it can be yes and, right? Yes, I can make great money, but I can also be, not be seen, not be heard, not be valued uh, the way that I want to. And those things matter just as much as the paycheck. And so uh, for me, uh, much of my career, I didn't feel like I could bring my authentic self to work because I was so concerned with what their version of authenticity was for me. And so I wanted to really write a book in which I could bring my authentic self to work, right? You know, I, I have all these different layers of Minda yes, the corporate Minda, but then I also love, you know, hip hop and I love our culture. And I wanted to bring that into the career narrative and it doesn't take anything away from us. And it's funny because writing the book, um, most people may or may not know uh, that the publishing industry is uh, primarily white um, behind the scenes. And even when I wrote the book, you know, my editors and the copywriters were all white and telling them that, you know, they questioned some of the things that I wrote in the book, like, oh, what does this mean? No one's going to understand that. And I'm like, my people will know I'm keeping it, you know, <laughs> I'm keeping this in here. And, um, and this is for us. And so even just to be so intentional about saying, hey, come into my living room, come into my world. I, I want us to be able to have that sit down that we may have not had before and, and feel comfortable. And so I, I was just so excited to be able to put it out there. And even when I was questioned in terms of, you know, my authentic voice that I still put it out there and, and majority of the people seem to like it. So I'm, I'm happy to also feel seen. Well, and you know, it's great that, you know, I think this, this year in particular, I'm, I'm noticing there are so many women of color who are standing up and saying, this is who I am fully, not just giving you, you know, the nine to five Minda or, you know, the, the, um, the, the corporate committee person, but this is who I am, all of me, you know, my, my love of hip hop, my love of music, um, the colloquialisms that I use, the mannerisms I have. And I think especially nowadays with diversity and inclusion being such a hot button, a hot button topic, I think that you are, are really demonstrating what diversity and inclusion looks like in action. And I know you talk a bit in the book about, you know, suggestions you have for allies who want to welcome us and, and be supportive of us. But what would you say to women of color who are in positions where you're the only 
or, you know, you have that yes and like, you know, yeah, this is paying the bills and I have this position, but I don't feel as if I'm fully and authentically there. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a fine, it's a fine line, right? <laughs> In terms of um, how much of ourselves we want to bring for bring to work. But the one thing that I tried to do the best that I could inside the memo was not to tell people what to do, but to offer a couple of different viewpoints. And for so long, I feel like us as women of color, as black women, we've been conditioned to make everything work. And we've also been conditioned not to center ourselves and to put everybody first. And so I'm asking us to consider putting ourselves first, centering ourselves. So what is going to make us happy in this situation, right? And and um, and considering what that could be, because for so long we have kind of followed the rules, <laughs> if you will, and I'm not saying not to follow the rules, but what would it look like if you centered yourself, right? Every decision that you made, you checked in with yourself to say, you know what, is this pushing me forward? Is this making me feel good? Um, and if it's not, what what is the alternative, right? And I think for for a long time, we just felt like we haven't had any options. And so I, I think it's okay to, um, recently I've been thinking a lot about breathing, Black women breathing, and what would it look like to allow yourself to breathe and exhale, right? Mm -hmm. And make those decisions based on you. And so that's what I'm I'm hoping we will do more of. And I, I love the way you say, you know, allowing black women to exhale, because one of my favorite movies is Waiting to Exhale. I think I watch it at least, you know, two or three times a month. <laughs> and, and, and it's because I could, that, that one scene in the movie where Savannah put her arms around, you know, the guy that she was dancing with, and she's like, <sighs> you know, and, and you can feel it's not just you know, breathing. It's not just, you know, being comfortable or feeling safe. It is all of the things that we carry on our shoulders, all of the people we carry on our shoulders, all of the, 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 the different communities and ways of being and doing that we navigate all the time because we're forced to show one side of ourselves instead of fully centering ourselves, as you say. Um, so what do you do or, or what was your turning point to where you finally said, you know, I'm not going to have everything, the world revolve around everything else. I need to center myself. What was that turning point for you? Yeah, uh, I think I'm still working that out, but I, I do think that I just was tired. I, I think that was basically where I, I came to this work in the road, <laughs> like I say, this bone of the harmony kind of crossroad mm -hmm. and I and I realized that I had just been kind of walking through my career with my eyes wide open but they were shut you know and and I had to figure out how was I going to heal from all of this trauma um, that I had been dealing with but more importantly um, knowing that it wasn't just about me you know how do I make the workplace better for those who are currently there that look like me and those who are coming behind me and I realized that I couldn't just be quiet about some of these things that I had to lean into my courage and not knowing what would meet me on the other side but if I was able to change the thought process of one person that looks like me to say hey I hadn't considered it this way or yes she's right I need to do I need to think about myself and my career um, context a little bit differently and more importantly the people we work around 
to see us in a different way, right? To consider what it's like for us to walk through the doors each and every day as one of only or one of few and, um, and being seen, right? And, and being elevated and accelerated just like everybody else. And so if I could do that by using this book in a way uh, to remind people that they've worked too hard to lean out now because you read a lot of these statistics and it says, you know, black women are starting their own companies at an exponential rate. And those, that's awesome, right? But many of us are not starting them because we ever wanted to be the boss. It's because we couldn't take the workplace anymore. And so I don't want us to defer our dreams because of bad behavior inside the workplace. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you said that I, I recently watched the documentary on Netflix. She did that and it profiled, you know, women of color who are entrepreneurs and a lot of them, so many of them, their stories began because they couldn't take the microaggressions anymore. They couldn't take being the person, you know, who was there, but not seen, um, and, and, and they wanted to create a space where they could be valued and they could be authentic and they could be full, fully themselves all the time um, instead of having to pick and choose. And I find it interesting that, like you said, we're not starting businesses because we want to build generational wealth per se, or we want to be our own bosses per se. We're starting our own businesses because we're trying to escape from toxic environments. Um, that people don't realize, you know, that impacts your health, that impacts you spiritually and emotionally and, and, um, and psychologically. And so given you've, you spent 15 years in corporate America and, um, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now and, and the, the organization that you started. So given the shift that you've made from being in corporate America and going through everything that you went through to now having your own company that you started um, because you got tired and walked away. How is that different for you? Yeah, um, thank you. It, it, it kind of goes back to the, the yes and thing, right? <laughs> like I get to build the thing that um, I'm happy to wake up in the morning and, and do each and every day, but it also um, is, a struggle to build your own business, right? <laughs> and to, to raise money and raise capital and all of those things. So, um, you know, I left a six-figure-plus job to, to do my own thing, to try to make the workplace better than I found it. And I'm, I find so much joy from that. Uh, one thing I will say is I, I love it, and I wouldn't do it any other way differently. And not to say that I would never go back to corporate America because you, you never know <laughs> what, what the road ahead looks like. But what I will say is I'm glad that I took the, the, the leap so that I know what it feels like to center myself. So if I ever did go back into another environment that I remember what I bring to the table and who I am and I am the room, right? I bring the room with me. And I think sometimes we do need to take a pause to remind ourselves um, kind of build that empire state of mind back again. And so um, right now, I love the fact that I get to talk about equity for women of color in the workplace, but you're even still met with um, some of the same situations, because even if I, you know, people will see that I've, you know, spoke at Nike and all these other places, but even when I go to these companies, uh, they'll ask me, well, what is it that you're going to say? You know, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so there's still even that, that you still those office politics that you still 
you know, me, but it's, but now I get to say, okay, that works for me or that doesn't work for me. Right. And there's really no repercussion. And so I do like being able to say what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And, and there's some freedom in that. Yeah. So for the women, and, and I love the fact that throughout the book, you, you, you tell your story and you give examples of what you did do and, and you give advice, like, you know, it's a girlfriend sitting over, you know, brunch and drinking some wine and saying, okay, this is what I learned. And this is what I would, I would recommend for you. Um, and your company, The Memo, focuses on career development um, resources for women of color so that they can excel. I have been really surprised at how many younger women are listening to this podcast. Um, and they're, they're looking for tips and suggestions and guidance because they don't have, men they don't have mentors and sponsors and allies that are there with them. So given that your company is formed to provide these resources, um, what advice would you give to young women of color who are, who are starting out on their career and they're trying to figure out how to navigate all of this? Yeah, uh, great question. So for me, I think, I think a, a lot of times, and not just young women of color, but, you know, even us more seasoned <laughs> individuals, <laughs> sometimes we forget that we have so much access at our fingertips, right? And sometimes we've been kind of stuck on, well, if so-and-so isn't my mentor, then I'm not going to get ahead, right? Or if I don't have this one mentor, then I'm not or sponsor, then I'm not going to get ahead. And I think that sponsorship looks, or mentorship looks a little bit different nowadays. And so I look online, like Twitter, I have all kinds of mentors, right? That I've never even met. And I take the advice, I engage with people like yourself, and I get the information, I get the tools that I need. I listen to the podcast, I buy the magazines, I go to the conferences, and that's, just as fruitful as sitting across the table from someone, but it, we have to look at our resources differently now. And I think that making sure that you're seeking the content because it's out there and you will find your people. You know, when I wrote the book, I was really worried that, you know, I'm not famous. No one knows me. You know, will anybody buy this book? Will it be helpful? Those sorts of things. And what I found is that like minds will find each other. And so if you seek out the information and you're putting yourself in situations to, to thrive, then um, the mentor, the sponsor, they will pop up. But you just have to show up for you and, and be your best advocate and, and engage because social media is the new form of social capital. It's right there for you. And I, I love how you say social media is the new form of social capital because for so long we were limited in the amount of influence and the circles that we could be, we could participate in because of location. Um, you know, there's one of my accountabilities and, and accountability partners and girlfriends lives in the DC area. And she's always telling me about these fabulous events that she goes to, not because they're, you know, glitz and glamor and, and, you know, get dressed up, but because of the people that are there and the speakers and the way she gets to go in and connect with all these people. And I, you know, I'm in North Carolina and I was like, we don't have that here. I'm jealous. I need to move. And then I realized I can connect with people online. You know, I can have these kind of really in-depth conversations. I had a conversation with a woman that I connected to who lives in Israel. And she does a lot of work with helping women of color 
to, um, to secure their place in, in the workforce and also to prevent burnout when it comes to you know, navigating this type of work. And when you realize that you know, social media is a great equalizer when it comes to this. Um, so what is it that if you could tell women of color one thing in terms of, you know, I know you're tired, I know you've been going through this, you know, what's the one thing that you would tell them in terms of, you know, what they should hold on to? What would that be? Yes, um, I wish that I could say it was my own, but I, I try to tell as many people this quote as often as I can because it helps me on the days where I'm not sure if I could push forward. And um, Audrey Lord, she says, <clears throat> beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it. And I think that sometimes we forget that we are good enough to deserve it. And so if you're not in a space that's giving you what you need, um, figure out where you need to be because, you know, you deserve it. You work too hard to lean out now. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that down so I can use that. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I know that women of color that, you know, your people, your tribe have embraced this book and um, it, it's kind of gone viral with people buying copies and, and giving it and gifting it to people. But how have you found the reception by other people who are of the majority culture or, you know, corporate America? How have you found their reception to be to this message? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny when I think about it that I, I think timing is everything, right? If this book would have come out a couple years ago, I don't know that they would have been as receptive, but I'm blessed in a sense right now uh, that the majority, when they do read it, they message me, they contact me, they tell me, come to my company, others need to hear it. So they're practicing their courageous listening, right? They're allowing themselves to see oh, okay, maybe I have been problematic, right? Well-intentioned, maybe, but still problematic. And so I've been really happy, happily surprised <laughs> by the amount of people that um, have read it that are not women of color and who say, wow, this is just a good book for all of us to consider. And, and, um, and they'll say, you know, maybe I should just rip out chapter eight, which is for my white readers <laughs> and hand it all around the office and, you know, just providing that dialogue. And so I feel really blessed um, that we are in a, a time period where we're having crucial conversations because I don't know if it would have gone over as well in a different time, time period. So I am um, optimistic that this will help close some of that empathy gap between us in the workplace. Well, and, and that's great because I think a lot of times you don't know how to have the conversation um, and I think that your your book and especially the chapter on on being allies and sponsors is a great way to to start to bridge the gap because I know just in the work that I do, um, I get people sometimes who mistakenly think that me being authentic and wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen fully means that I'm telling them that they're doing something wrong and that they can't be fully who they are. Um, and that's not the message that you're sending at all, is it? it no, absolutely not. So the message, you know, I'm trying to be, when I'm in the room with majority, um, I try to say, hey, it's not about taking your privilege away. It's about 
how can you use it to help somebody else too, mm -hmm. right? You know, some people will say, oh, those with privilege should step aside. I'm not saying give up your seat. I'm saying what would it look like if we added more chairs, <laughs> you know? And I think that this, uh, this scarcity mentality, it's not just in the black community, but it's also in others mm -hmm. as well, you know, so. And I, I love that, I, that, you know, we don't, you don't have to give up your seat, just add more chairs. You know, we can, we can have a bigger table. It's fine. We're, we're yeah, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> and, and I think that, I think it's important to note that when books like this come out or, um, you know, you go in and you speak to topics around diversity and inclusion and belonging and equity and, um, and talk about microaggressions and ways that people can be allies and, and so on. I think it's so easy for people to take the easy way out and say that, well, if you're pro women of color, then that means you're anti everyone else. And, 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 and I love the fact that you include in your book and you talk a lot about how we're just, we wanna work together with you. We want to join with you in this. We're just saying we don't want to be on the outside anymore. We don't want to be ignored anymore. We don't want to be silenced anymore. Um, we don't want to be tired <laughs> anymore. Um, right. <laughs> which is yeah. when I read the chapter about, I was like, Oh, I can, I can so relate to that one. Um, but tell me a little bit, we've, we've got a few minutes left. Um, talk a little bit about what's next for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, trying to enjoy like the ride too, because I think sometimes, you know, as a black woman, I'll speak for myself as a black woman, you know, we, we do all the things, right. And sometimes we don't get a chance to just sit back and enjoy um, some of the fruits of our labor and just to be able to, to exhale and say, wow, um, what, an, what a blessing to be in a space like this. And so I'm trying to smell the roses a little bit more, but also I teach at NYU. So I'm, I'm also on the road and back in the classroom. And so um, really enjoy that part of my life being able to um, pour into the next generation of leaders and give them some things to consider as they're managing uh, folks and engaging with people inside the workplace and uh, right now uh, working trying to work haven't found the time but working on two <laughs> two new books um, that will hopefully be coming out in the next uh, year or two uh, but this year uh, be on the lookout for the paperback version of the memo Awesome. Awesome. Well, you have, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, I know your schedule is incredibly hectic <laughs> right now, but um, I do appreciate the fact that, that you took the time to come and talk to us and, and share some of your insights and, and your story. Um, I will have information on where you can find the memo um, on my website. Um, at carsgroup.com, that's K-A-R-S group.com. You will also have information about how to connect with Minda. Um, we'll have her Twitter handle and um, she's very active on Twitter. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, there are sometimes when I see your, your, your tweets and I'm like, wait, what is she doing up at this hour? <laughs> but then I realize I'm yeah. up at this hour, so um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that part. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, but you, you have such great, conversations um, and and you post such interesting questions and and it and really following you is a great way of expanding our dialogue um, because I've connected with some other great women um, because of connecting with you on Twitter and I I think that we 
we have to find our community and our tribe um, wherever they are, regardless of where we live physically. Um, and I just thank you for being transparent and thank you for, you know, picking up the mantle and saying, I'm going to speak out um, about this and share my story and share my voice and, and encourage other people to do so. So thank you once again for, um, for joining me and, and I do appreciate it. Thank you, Keisha. I appreciate you too. Have a great day. All right. You too. Well, that will do it for our episode of Mindset to Mastery. Um, be sure to visit our website at carsgroup.com. That's K-A-R-S group.com. Let us know what you think um, and any questions that you may have and also reach out and buy the memo. Um, it is a great, awesome resource. I've read it twice already and highlighted it. Um, so it is going to be one of my go-to guides and resources as I move forward in the next phases of my career. But you can tune into us every weekday on Thursday afternoons um, for new episodes. And it's 30 minutes of strategies, tools, tips, insights, and actionable items to help you to change your mindset and master your success. Until next time, do all that you can to be all that you can and make it a great one. Until next time, bye-bye.